This is Why We Write, a podcast of Leslie University. Each week, we bring you conversations with authors from the Leslie community to talk about books, writing, and the writing life. You've already heard a lot from our MFA and creative writing community on this podcast, but today we speak with Jess Rizkala, an alumna of our undergraduate program who really learned to embrace poetry while studying at Leslie. She also founded her own literary journal and press as an undergraduate here before going on to study creative writing at NYU. Here's her interview with Professor Mary Dockray Miller. I'm Professor Mary Dockray Miller, the medievalist in the humanities department here. And today I'm going to be interviewing Jess Rizkala, who graduated from the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences in 2015. Here at Leslie, she was an English major with minors in both creative writing and illustration. We have Jess here today for a lot of reasons, but one is that uh, she won the Atel Adnan Poetry Prize for her very first book, a poetry collection called The Magic My Body Becomes, which explores gender, family, sexuality, religion, and love through the prism of the Arab-American experience. It was published in 2017 by the University of Arkansas Press. So Jess, thanks for coming today and uh, being willing to talk to us about yourself and your work and your career. Thank you for having me. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about um, your work in general and the process you go through to produce it. Um, and just sort of a, a very bird's eye view, why, why poetry? Why do you write poetry instead of fiction or music or screenplays? So I actually, I think because the way poetry is taught in schools, it's sort of like secondary to fiction um, and prose and longer form things. Um, the way I remember poetry being taught was like, okay, now we're going to spend a couple of weeks on like Edgar Allan Poe or Walt Whitman or Shakespeare. And then we're just going to go back to novels. Um, and so I think uh, that's why I started writing fiction before I started writing poetry. And I still wrote poetry like in my journals, but I never did anything with it. It was just for me. Um, but then at Leslie, I took a short fiction class and all of my stories, um, they just were zoomed in so much. And the feedback I got in workshops was like, I, I don't really know like what the overarching thing you're trying to say with this story is. Like it's beautifully written. Like these moments are like so rich, but I there's no I don't understand what the plot is trying to do. And then I realized like, oh, maybe I should okay, maybe I should just like chase poetry so you were really writing poetry even though your assignment said you had to be writing fiction sort of yeah um and yeah I don't know I I think what also helped that was like the Boston poetry slam community um I started listening to spoken word I listened to a lot of like Anise Moshgani and Andrea Gibson and then I went to the open mic at Cantab in Central Square um and I just like heard voices that sounded like mine um from people who were, I don't know, like paramedics, bartenders, uh, students, um, just like from every profession you could imagine. Um, and it really just like was a different picture of poetry than what uh, we'd always like read in, in class. Um, like it, it was a reminder that poetry is like down here, like on this realm around us. Um, and also that poetry is like unfinished a lot because it's always like happening. And I think that has to do with like how I write too. I call it um, archive theory. <laughs> um, so kind of like paying attention to impulses and even just like being okay with like the uncertainty and 
like writing if I even if I get like a fragment down in my journal like feeling accomplished with that um, so Jess you were saying that um you you tend to do a lot of your writing in that hyphen in the the phrase Arab American and, and how you live there and, and that sort of opens up a lot of space for you to be a writer and also a teacher yeah uh so I I guess that relates to the archive archiving um because of the uneasiness of um, like being in the world and the commotion and all the different like sounds that you hear when you're even just walking down the street. Um, and that reflects all of like the different like emotions that you feel to inside of you and how do you bring that together? And I think the page is like the in-between space of that. Even if you get like a fragment a day, that's still, you know, that's its own artifact. If you get like a word a day by the end of the week, that's seven words and then some sentences are seven words long or like a line a day at the end of the week that's seven lines and some poems are seven lines long um and I think that sort of like breaks down the feeling that we have where we have to like produce something that is so conventionally like finished looking poetry is so much about like the impulse and the questions and not always the answers um and sometimes the questions are more interesting than the answers um, and so I think that, like, that relates to the Arab-American like, identity and, like, the hyphen in between Arab and, and American because you have so many questions and so many, like, conflicting things that you feel that there isn't, like, a clear-cut answer or resolution to. Like, uh, you kind of always want to please your elders um, and hold on to the language and the culture. And, you know, you hear, like, why are you so Americanized? Like, this. And then you go to school, and then there were students who told me, like, I don't care that you speak Arabic. I don't care about your family. Like, I, you're here now. Um, and so, like, kind of having to, like, switch in between different modes. Um, and then that feeling, like, where you have to escape the in-between um, and be, like, one or the other is something that I, I think and I had mentioned my friend Emmanuel Opanyuwa, um, a local Boston poet, and I like to cite him every time I talk about this because that's like that's when it occurred to me when I was talking to him. And we're actually discussing the poetry of Safia Hello, who um, is amazing and writes a lot about this, um, about like the in between um, and about language. Uh, and we were talking about how like it's its own country. There's no way you're ever going to like escape like from you know, completely into Arabness and completely into Americanness. Like, it's its own thing. It's not like a middle ground. It's its its own country. Um, and it has its own language and not just like a crashing of English and Arabic or like English and your mother tongue, but like a smooth sort of like fusion. You know, like I think of mosaics. I think of collage. I think of archives. Um, I think of like the like how material and textury uh, all of that is and how like material and textury we are as people. And I think of like the internal world that I talked about earlier and uh, like the external and like how that comes together on the page. And I think that like identity um, when you're writing is like a similar thing. Like when you, if you're trying to write between two different things. Um, so it all sort of like, it's like a line parallel to another line, parallel to another line. Can you tell us a bit about your, your publication history all the way back into your undergraduate days? Um, 
your your zine, your performances as a spoken word artist, uh, your development of, of your own press. Um, can you sort of give us a narrative about how that unfolded? I came to Leslie and uh, I was writing fiction, short fiction. And then um, I was still, I think like my first year at Leslie was when I started listening to spoken word poetry. And I used to like read poetry. I like, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing now, but I really love Charles Bukowski and I, he's a monster. I get that now. Um, but he kind of like showed me that poetry like isn't, uh, it doesn't have to be just like the stuff that, you know, uh, like the token stuff we learn for a couple of weeks in school mm-hmm. before we like go back to novels. You can talk about vowel movements or like swear. And so he was kind of like the foot in the door. And then I like started, I found like more poetry um, that sort of like was spoken a register that like felt closer to um, how I felt uh, like about like just the way that like I experienced the world. Um, and realizing that, like, oh, the things that I notice um, that maybe aren't even, like, poetic are still poetic. Poetry is, like, my own thing. It wasn't anything I was, like, planning to do anything with. I also, the publication side of it was, like, a huge thing of mine, the huge thing for me, like, outside of just, like, expression for myself. Um, I I did uh, literary magazines in high school, like, in my hometown, and then I came to Leslie and I didn't want to wait to take the common thought class. I wanted to like keep my education about publication going. So I like started my own literary magazine. Um, uh, what was that called? It's called Maps for Teeth. Maps. It's still called Maps for Teeth. It's still going on. It's still on. active, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was something that I like used Leslie's Community of Scholars Day to sort of like give myself a kick in the pants to finish uh, quickly <laughs> instead of like putting it off I think I would have definitely put it off a lot longer um, and that was something too that just tying back to like the hyphenated identity space um, it was also sort of like a like a selfish little way for me to like uh, all of the poems about like identity and like environment and these like outside things that become so internal for us like whenever I've come across that stuff it would like spoke to me in a way that like nothing else ever really did, but it felt like like me and all these poets were just islands calling out to each other. So I kind of wanted everything like in one place for me to read, um, and so that was uh, that was why that happened. But it's kind of become something a lot bigger um, because then Pizza Pie Press happened and it became uh, the umbrella uh, over which like Master Teeth is just one of the things that we do. And uh, Pizza Pie, like, spoke to a lot of, like, the friends I was making in the poetry community who wanted to be a part of it with me. Um, they, like, asked, like, do you need help? And, like, I, didn't, I don't know if they <laughs> knew just how far I'd rope them into it. But, like, now it's, like, it feels like it it's belongs to all of us. Like, That's I, great. I'm, like, the, I, we joke that I'm, like, the, the, the head chef, but, like, you know, somebody's stomping the tomatoes with their feet and somebody else is sprinkling the cheese. We, we go really deep into the pizza imagery. <laughs> as, as well you should. Yeah. Um, and so that was something Pizza Pie Press happened also because I was like, when it was just me, I like made something for Mice because I went to Mice. Um, Mice is the Massachusetts Independent Comics Expo, which is hosted by Leslie every year, just FYI. Yes. It's so, the so best you went to Mice. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, I went to Mice and I saw people like they, it was just, it was really accessible and like things that people were doing in their journals that I was doing in my journals. And I was like, I can do that. I am doing that. I just need to saddle stitch it and make copies of it. Um, and so the next year, like I, I did mice and like as a joke, I think I put like pizza pie press on the back because it was like, this is so messy. Who would think it's a press? And then like now it's a real like thing with a team of, of editors. Um, and like some of them actually went to Leslie. Like one of them is Josh Cornellan, who like still teaches at Leslie, I think. And then another one is Tiffany Mallory, um, who they're both like illustration majors. Um, did your creative writing minor, um, well, I guess that, that came early, but was your illustration minor, was that sort of before your first encounter with mice or after? That was, I, I knew coming in I wanted to do that. Okay. And that was one of the reasons I chose Leslie, because I could do both of those things. Mm-hmm. I actually, like, almost went to art school. It was very, like, it was very, like, dramatic. Like, it was like a Lizzie McGuire episode <laughs> where I was like, what do I do? And then I had like, this moment and like, piano swelled and I was like what do I what is when I'm upset what do I turn to like do I write or do I draw and then I was like I write so okay but I still I don't want to give up like drawing Um, and so that's why I came to Leslie and uh it was like a like I think there was one advisor who was like you can't do that and I was like no I can't (laughs) (laughs) um and so like that's been super and like I treated it like it was all like my other major, even though it was just a minor. Um, and it was cool because like at Lucad, like it wasn't like, oh, you're a Leslie student and you're here. So I'm not going to take you seriously. It was like, no, like you're all illustration majors here. Like you all like I, I got the same um, like treatment that all the other students got. Um, and like my professors even like forgot that I was a Leslie student. I, I, it was it was a uh, the pathways are there. If, if, you, yeah. if you want to walk on that path, you can, which is great. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I think that it um, it definitely, like, ha- helps how I write poetry, too, to kind of, like, think about, like, the illustration process and, like, the things I learned about that in class and, like, even, like, applying it to, like, how I, like, draft a longer form piece or, like, like when I'm drawing, like, how can I take this in these images that I've made and, like, actually consciously, like, put them into a poem instead of, like, letting the images come to me in, in a nebulous, like, internal way. So when you use the word images in those sentences, are you referring to verbal images that you've written, like textual poetic images or, or visual images that you've drawn or, or both? Yeah, I mean, so usually, like, the images um, come from, like, when I notice the world around me. Um, and, like, it'll come back to me later when I'm thinking about, like, an internal thing and then, like, an external thing becomes the better for it to, like, cycle through it. Um, but, like, sometimes when I'm drawing, like, I took a class with Dave Bondar, um, who, uh, he was a Lucad teacher, and we, he was really, really encouraging about, like, me, like, incorporating, like, text and my poems into my work. Mm. Um, and I did an independent study with him, too, um, which was really cool. And... I like what something we talked about was like letting the same thing I was talking about before about like knocking the pressure down when you're like recording in your journal like fragments or like observations or lists or whatever like he had the same attitude with like keeping a sketchbook um hmm. and so he would be like just like let your hand go like don't think too hard all the time 
and then like later you'll find like the poetry inside of like even the lines you're making like I remember one time I drew like this giant pear and like I brought it into him and he was just like wow this is a really anxious pear <laughs> and I was like what do you mean he's like are you okay I'm like yeah why and then he's just like look at these lines that you're making and they're like tight and coiled and then over here they're like looser and like look at this like bold like out very like like it's like containing everything um and then I it like informed a poem I wrote about um about what I was going through and I was like oh wow that is true like I was going through something mm. like when I made that silly pear thing or like even just like when I'm doodling and like I drew like these like ladybugs on top of like an elephant or something and like that became like an image that I, I like would look through my sketchbook and find that like the things that I doodled or rendered around me became uh, like metaphors in my poems and even just like thinking about like the boldness of a line um, like a mark that you make on a page in a drawing and like how you can translate that into like the boldness of like a line in a poem and I think about a lot of poems that sort of like fly away a little bit um and like but why I keep returning to them and why I trust them and why I'm not annoyed when they do that and it's always because they have like a bold line that like recurs like there's always like um there's always something that kind of like contains or like the like the bumpers when you're bowling that when you're the bumps the ball back in the middle um, and I think that's, it's really, like, beautiful to see the parallels between, like, the visual art and, like, the text. Absolutely. When um, you came to read at the library last fall um, in celebration of your book, you uh, confessed to some of the current students that you would skip class, uh, especially my class, if you were in the zone writing a poem, and, and I guess now also maybe working on, on some sketches and putting some visual and verbal images together. Um, can you tell us some other ways that, that Leslie influenced you as a poet when you were a student here, I mean, besides cutting my class? <laughs> it wasn't especially your class, it just included in my class. Yeah, I mean, I guess I justified the cutting classes because I was like, I need to write this poem. And it seems like looking back, I'm like, maybe I like romanticized that. But actually, like, I, I think we do need to like follow those impulses. Um, you know, like we can't let capitalism win. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, Leslie was really helpful because um, it's not a gated college community. Um, so there's like a lot of, from the outside community that like leaks in, like that just to be exposed to so many things on the Leslie campus that like Leslie like didn't like it didn't originate here, but they like let it in. Um, and then also just like a lot of like the like the freedom that like Leslie itself gave us to sort of like start our own like projects and start our own clubs and like use all the spaces that we wanted to use. Um, and like giving us like budgets to do things um, and like signing off on like independent studies that uh, maybe like make more sense in, in you know, the student's head than they do like on the paper. But like, I trust you, go do it. Um, Again, that seems like part of the mosaic you were talking about earlier, that there are all these little things that happened to you or that you made happen while you were here. And then you step back and you realize that there's this education 
um, that, that you in many ways created for yourself by maximizing your opportunities here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely like not, yeah. Like not like putting off, um, like what, not putting off like the things that I was pursuing while I was being a student at Leslie to like after I graduated. Um, and like, even just like looking at everything as an internship and not just like in the actual internships. Um, so Pizza Pie Press existed before you graduated. It did, yeah. By yeah. the time I graduated, it was doing uh, very well, which was really exciting. And that was because, like, it sort of, like, it began on the Leslie campus, but, like, landed, like, in the community of artists, mm. like, in Boston itself. Um, and I still, like, I don't know. I, I, I think uh, a lot about Leslie, too. Even just, like, the philosophy of Leslie. Like, when I started to hear the phrase was like, let's wake up the world. And then like somebody was like, that's a little colonial. <laughs> so they like yep. changed it. Um, but like, I think it turned into like, let's wake up ourselves. Um, and so there was a lot of like things that I learned at Leslie that like, I'm really thankful that I learned before I went out into the world and said something like hurtful. Um, and also just like that, like openness to like say the things and also like say how we feel about a lot of things and like that's the joke a lot of students make too like oh feelings like how do you feel that's such a Leslie question but I think that's beautiful and I think that that's something that has like informed my um my philosophy as like a person in the world and and sort of like I always felt at home here because there was always like the emphasis on like you know being a human like even in my interview um like, I didn't, when I, I applied to Leslie, I didn't have a great GPA. And so it was like, I need to do everything I can to get in here. And then I did an interview. And, like, because of my interview, like, by the end of it, um, the person I was talking to was like, I really want you to come here. And I'm going to write a, a strong recommendation for you. And, like, I don't want you to worry about your GPA because, I like, what you want to do is, like, you would do well at Leslie. Um, and then, like, I even got, like, a like a bigger scholarship than like I would have gotten before. And so there is like this, like, you know, like you reach past like the numbers and everything and like you're a person. Um, and then even like in class, like we would be like in, like you're in your class or like Christine Evans's class. And like those classes were really challenging for me because like they're, but like in a good way, I like think about them all the time. But it was like applying this like logos to like before what has had been only pathos for me. Um, and even though like you guys were like both really like strict on me about that, um, at the end of the semester, there was still like room for like everyone to like, like, what are you going to take with you? Um, and like, how do you, how are you as like a writer affected by this, which was cool because I think there were a lot of like education majors in my in my classes mm -hmm. um, where, you know, they were thinking like, what am I going to take into the classroom? Like as a teacher. And for me, I was like, what am I going to take into like the world as a writer, but also like, I'm still going to be around people. And how can I use like this, these like texts that were previously inaccessible to me, like to kind of like to synthesize them into something that, um, I don't know, like bring into the world and try to be like a responsible citizen of the world. That sounds like a goal that I would have for all of my students yeah. in every class. So I'm glad to hear that that it, it's transferred out at least a little bit. Yeah, and it was definitely like, I think that my, to be like honest, my GPA by the time I graduated was, it was 3.0. Um, 
and I think I bumped it up to 3.0 like in my last year and uh, and so I kind of like but I still feel like I got like I still feel like I did so well in college like I don't feel like held back by that number um, because it never was about that for me Mm -hmm. Um, and I still feel like I was like just as like I don't know like just as my friends who were like getting like all A's like sometimes I was like am I a failure but I never nobody ever like made me feel that way which is really cool because I know at a lot of other schools it's like the pressure and the competition sort of like gets in the way of like everybody like being on the same page in the discussions and stuff like that um and so I kind of like took that philosophy and like seeing people like pass you know like all of the whatever um into like my classroom when I taught because I taught in my last semester at NYU and um that's why, like, I had my students keep journals, and, like, it was all about, like, honoring, like, you know, like, the impulse and, like, the, like, immediate reactions that we have, and, like, not focusing on finished products, but, like, how we relate to the text, and, like, how the texts are sending, like, these red strings out into the world, and, like, what do they connect to, and, like, also, like, how do we, like, use this to connect to each other? Um, yeah, so that's feel- important. Yeah. Um, speaking of, of your MFA program, I was hoping uh, maybe you could get down into the grad school weeds with some uh, maybe current undergraduates um, who may be thinking about getting an MFA and tell us a little bit about your process of deciding to apply to get an MFA, why NYU, um, what made that application successful, all that sort of thing. I took a, I took a year off between um, graduating from Leslie and going to NYU. Um, and I don't think that's like the thing to do. It's just what I did. I worked uh, as a barista. I was trying to save money. I was trying to stay like within the Boston creative community because um, that was like it was. I was still learning. I wasn't done learning from them yet. Um, I don't think I ever will be. Which is I feel really lucky. Like we're really lucky to live in a city that is always going to teach us more. So, but I I kept in touch with Clara Ronderos, um, and she. She was like my, <laughs> she was like my um, college, she was like my college mom. <laughs> like, I remember one time I went into class and she was like, when you talk about your paper? And I was like, yeah, it was, it was really bad. She's like, it really was. <laughs> and it was like really blunt, but also like I needed to hear that. And so she was someone too, who like that transferred over into like, when I talked to her about like life things and she would always be like, you're hard on yourself, but you like actually don't have time for that. Mm. Like it's you're wrong, but also, like, you're actually, like, hurting your yourself and your life by, like, even spending any time thinking about that. And so when I was just, like, I'm applying for grad schools, and, like, I think I want to apply to NYU, but they probably won't accept me. And she's, like, why would you even say that? Like, literally, like, get out of my office if you, that's what you're talking about. She said it nice, a little nicer than that. Um, but it definitely was, like, really helpful for me to, like, have someone who, like had been hard on me in the past but also like like believed in me and was just like no actually like you're really brilliant like I want you to apply to this program someone um, who made you own your own talent and yeah exactly. and risk take that risk of writing that application yeah and so um I I applied and I remember like still feeling this like there's this weird thing that people do where they think that like slang poetry isn't real poetry. And like when you write about identity, that's not real poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it happens a lot in like academia. Like I was told that 
you know, like BU is a school that like people like look down on this type of poetry and like Brown is a school that looks down on this type of poetry and like you have to tailor your application. And I'm just like, I don't want to tailor my application for anyone. I don't know exactly like what NYU wants from people, but like here are the 10 poems that I believe in the most that like I needed to write to be, you know, like to be the person that I am. Like they're the most urgent poems to me. And I think like that was the energy I needed. Yeah, and so I kind of like applied and I didn't I didn't think that they would accept me. So I didn't actually like think about like how my life would change at all. And then I got like this phone call that did change my life. It was like very like cinematic. And I was like, I felt like everything around me stopped. I was like, oh, I have to move. I can't say no to this. Um, and so the biggest thing I would say from that is just like believe in yourself because you literally like don't have time not to believe in yourself. Um, and I think the time we spend on self-doubt could be better spent, even if it's not writing, just like doing something that like makes you feel like a person. Um, that sounds like something Clara Ronderos may have said to you a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Pass um, it on. On yeah. him. And so like being at NYU is really amazing because everyone does tell you like when you go to when you go to an MFA program, everyone is going to be like really mean and competitive. And like I went in there and I kind of was like, what's it going to But everyone was really loving and like, I didn't feel alone at all. Was, I, I grew so much, and, like, everyone around me constantly, like, gave me goosebumps all the time with their writing, and also, like, even just the things that we would, like, learn and say in class. Um, yeah, I, was there more to the question that I should <laughs> No, that, that actually pretty much covers everything that, yeah. that I had asked, so that's great. Um, we only have a few more minutes, Jess, so if you could just tell us uh, really quickly, um, and not to put you on the spot, but like, what, what happens next? You've got your MFA from a prestigious writing program. You have a prize and a book and a press. Um, what, what can we expect next, next from Jess Kala? <laughs> um, I, something I'm like really excited about is that I learned like, uh, like my first book, I was just like poems I was writing and that one day I sat down and was just like, how do these relate? I'm going to arrange them and that's going to be a book. But like we learned a lot about like projects and like, you know, like that, in, you know, being encouraged to like follow obsessions and like that, like uh, the ocean long explaining like obsessions by using a spiral and how like every time you write, uh, you like pass by the same point, but you're like writing towards the middle of a circle. Um, and so like, I think of projects as being like one large spiral. Um, and so I'm like writing a book now with like more intention than I ever have. Like, it feels like I'm writing a book for the first time and not like a collection. Um, mm. and so like, there's a lot more like research that I'm doing. Like I want to research, um, the Lebanese civil war, but also like history even before the civil war. Cause I think that there's this thing that we all do where it's like very uh, Arab Americans, like it's very necessary for us to like talk about the really hard stuff and like, you know, like the, the, the wars and stuff. But there's also like people don't always expect us to do this and don't always want to hear us like celebrate ourselves um, and like talk about things that like before the war or like outside of the war or whatever. Um, and so I kind of like I want to write about the war, but because like I didn't experience it and I got it secondhand, I want to like do my research and also like I just want to get to know like my other country like outside of you know like outside of its only its wounds like I wanted that feeling I get like when I'm in Lebanon and like I'm on a mountain 
like, and it feels like there's a poem inside of me. Like I want to communicate that. Um, but at the same time, I do want to like be responsible. And I think that's the biggest thing I think about when I think about like my next project with being responsible with poetry. And I think about like the book Look by Solna Sharif, um, where she uses the dictionary for the Department of Defense to like write about um, like what's going on in uh, what what went on in Iran and like reminding people that like these countries we go into like are occupied by humans. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm doing. And like the, my like I don't know what the book is gonna look like, um, but I, I to always guide myself back to it. I'm like, okay, did I? read as much as I wrote okay like did I read more than I wrote and like I always want to be reading more than I'm writing for mm -hmm. this next book and so if the answer is no then I know that like I'm not there yet and so that's what I'm working on now that sounds like yeah. something we can all await with great anticipation just we were kind of hoping that you would um read us a poem or two of yours to close out our interview should I read one in the book and one not in the book? Sounds great. My book is called The Magic My Body Becomes. This poem is called Sinilfil, Lebanon. Uh, Sinilfil is a borough um, in Beirut, in Lebanon, um, and it translates to Tooth of the Elephant. I asked her to tell me about the elephants. She used to live in one of their teeth burrowed into Beirut like a forgotten cavity where her mother had cancer and her dog ran into traffic the year before she married. I asked her about the curve of the tusk at the base of their home, and she said they huddled three days, bricks for pillows, sirens replacing birds, fingers coming through the ground for the ankles not yet twisted by the rubble. The next day they made for America, the ivory still in the basement cocooned by a silk curtain. I asked him about the beginning of the war. He told me about the people walking over broken glass, everyone in the city some sort of Jesus with shards of what would one day floss the Mediterranean getting caught in their heels. His first and only pet was a German shepherd, but in thin thin a name like three sharpened teeth in a row, a bite, a mark made above the boot coming down a heel too soft to know his own flesh. He told me about mortality's breath, the matted fur between his children's arms, the organs like disintegrating pottery when the militia fed his dog shrapnel. He whimpered at the door till he was found, abdomen giving way to scarlet fingers, red sea parted by his tongue, and the final heave before his body became a prophecy for every cedar and every person every cedar lives inside of. As Boston thaws over the morning dog walkers, I count all the ways I have come to understand the distance my family keeps. When enough homes collapse into mines, anything close enough to lick your wounds will sound like a canary. She asks me why I love the elephants, even though I can never hold them. I tell her about the toenails and teeth, the tusks and their bones, like these stories. There's something to know from afar, to watch die from afar, leaving behind their bodies as shelter. I ask her how many years it would take to visit each grave the past filled to bring me here. She tells me that each day I am here is a flower left at a different stone. It's spectacular, Jess. Thank you. So the next poem is out of my thesis that I wrote at NYU called 
Maybe it's not always the evil eye. Sometimes it's just systemic racism, ethical loneliness, dirty water, a terrible country. I read that Sufis want God now, day to day in life, the same way morning comes and how eyes open and close after the rest of the body shuts down, the same way light bulbs flicker when you talk to the ceiling. There are hundreds of ways to kiss the ground, each way a landline to the ancestors, a pipeline in a river, big slick snake pushing up sacred burials, then leaking into the water, already filled with polyester, that fill the fish we eat. And I've burned through 18 candles in the last month, a box of dragon's blood, a stick of palo santo, my smoke signals fishbowl, the stratosphere. I want to access the Akashic records to find my cosmic car keys. And what's the best pot pie recipe? I'm looking up to find pictures, like that scene in Cinderella when she's scrubbing the floor and all the bubbles fill the room, a multiverse of mirror images bumping then popping, each one a different color, and she sings and she sings, and the mice are there the whole time, like where I lived when I thought I was going to die. In that apartment, my roommate's cat was transfixed by ghosts. She would stare at walls meowing for minutes on end while the mice chewed on my clothes, stole my chocolate, then, a compendium of wrappers at the back of my closet. A fucked up treasure trove I found the day I moved out. Before that, we burned sage, but the cat kept at it. The ghosts left, but the mice remained in the walls. Slum lords are assholes. I suppose my filter is improving. On the steps of the river walk, I watched transfixed as pelicans dipped from the sky to graze the water, and I didn't interrupt the conversation about equity. Astrology says the ocean is why I'm like this, but how do I write about the ocean without mentioning the Atlantic slave trade and the refugee babies who wash up on Facebook feeds? Every poem about the ocean has bones at the bottom of it, even if we can't see past our toes. We splash, we splash, we lick the salt from our lips. I wonder whose tears were these before we used them to cleanse the tumbled stone at the center of our chests. At the end of every beach day, me and Mama collect the ocean in plastic bottles and stack them in the trunk of the car. We do this because salt water is good for the psoriasis on Theta's legs. Carefully, she empties the bottles over her skin, anxious for this potion stirred by the moon, which is pierced by an American flag in every horoscope she appears in. The elephant on the moon, calling out to all the ones in all the rooms late at night where candles burn, and we want to know if the flickers mean something. If the dead are just dead, if after all this time energy is just wind, if the invisible hands on our chests belong to something bigger than inertia, older than all of us. And Jess, I just want to thank you again for coming in today to your alma mater and talking to us about your work. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad that Leslie Wall was really coming to me. Thank you for listening to Why We Write. This podcast is just a taste of the many amazing people who are part of the Leslie Writing community. Head on over to leslie.edu slash podcast to learn more about Jess Kala, hear some of her slam poetry, and more. If you've enjoyed the podcast so far, we would appreciate if you would rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice, and also tell a friend. Next week, we speak with children and young adult author David Elliott, whose most recent novel, Voices, The Final Hours of Joan of Arc, comes out next week. Here's a clip from next week's interview. You know, I learned about the myths through a Scrooge McDuck comic. <laughs> I'm from a very poor family. My, there were not a lot of books in my house. 
you would never have described my family as literary. But, uh, so I had this big box of comics. I still don't know where they came from, but they, it wasn't exactly the happiest family. So I often retreated to my room with these comics. One of them was uh, Scrooge McDuck and the Golden Fleecing, which was a retelling <laughs> yeah. of the, of the uh, myth of Jason and the Argonauts. And I remember then, and I loved it so much. And part of it was sort of what the novelist Peter Dickinson calls the illicit pleasure of reading comic books. Uh, and part of it was, I think, the pleasure I got and the safety I felt and kind of the escape from my family life. All those things psychically, I think, kind of went into the soul mm -hmm. and made me love myths. But when I first read the real Greek myths, I remember thinking, wait, they, they stole this from Scrooge. <laughs>